Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word, how it stirs our hearts, convicts our hearts, challenges us. Lord, you want us to be more like Jesus and you're in that process of building us. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word today to, to stir our hearts, to move toward you, to think your thoughts after you. Lord, we love you and we just praise you for this time together, centered around your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, that's the passage that Brandy was reading from. Thank you, Brandy, for reading that. Um, and I want, us to, I want us to look at this, uh, this passage uh, today because it's a, it's a challenging passage. In fact, it's his 19th sermon out of 27 sermons in the, and starting at chapter 40 to 66 of Isaiah. Those chapters are 27 sermons of Isaiah, and in those sermons, uh, he speaks to us about different issues. He speaks to, uh, originally, to his audience of Israel and wanted to let them know what they needed to do. He wanted them to know that after Assyria and Babylon, in those chapters 36 to 39, after they came, there's going to be blessing. And so these are some incredible passages. They're, they're 
they're sermons of hope. They're sermons that, that bring encouragement. And this one starts out, in fact, as I, as I started out studying it, I thought, oh my, why did I pick this one? Right? Uh, that happens a lot of weeks because I go, I, I'd, I'd like this part of the passage, but I'm not so sure about this other part, right? And yet that's what we need to do when we read the Word of God. We take all parts of the Word of God. It's all valuable. It's all important. And so we need to understand it. And so the question that I ask as we get into this one is this. What is the good life? What is the good life? Because Isaiah talks about that. In verse 8, you see him saying, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Wow, that's the good life, right? I mean, you look at the blessing that goes from there and continues on through, through verse 12. And you think, I want all of that. I want that for my life. And more importantly, God wants that for our lives. Now you may say, well, wait a minute, that's in the Old Testament. Wasn't he speaking to Israel at that point? There's a verse in uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. It says, what was written of old was written for our instruction. That through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what is he referring to? Well, the Old Testament. Obviously, because the New Testament wasn't uh, um, canonized at that point that Paul wrote that. So he's talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, and I got to be careful about taking promises from the Old Testament that weren't intended for me. But when you read this passage, you begin to see that, that God is speaking about himself and who he is. And how he wants his people to relate to him. And some of the things that you'll see here, you'll see also in the New Testament that are restated in the New Covenant. And so I want us to, to, when we look at this passage, I want us to be challenged by its words. Now, as I think about this, this passage and I think about the fact that, you know, what does it mean to have the good life? Or in a sense, this life that he intended for us in in, ancient, in the ancient world, they talked about human flourishing. Aristotle said about human fr- uh, uh, flourishing, he said, how to live happily in this world. His argument was that only by consciously and thoughtfully pursuing virtue will one be able to achieve, uh, achieve flourishing. That you flourish, that you have the good life, that you have this blessed life. That idea was dismissed by some of the philosophers, including Immanuel Kant, and they said, no, it's just what's ever universal to all people, and he threw out this idea of human flourishing. And yet, uh, when I was working on PhD studies, one of my professors did a paper on human flourishing and talked about the different aspects biblically of that. And he said that uh, he had a few points. They were that human flourishing is dwelling with God in peace. That's how he defined it. Dwelling with God in peace. And then he said it's really only going to be perfectly experienced when we're with him in heaven. But that there is intended for us, even in this life, this understanding that we can also be blessed in this life by God. And then he said... 
the most important context for that flourishing is the local church. And so that we, that God intends for us, and you see this here, he wants his people to experience these things. He wants your light uh, to break forth like the dawn. You know, whatever that exactly means, whatever he intended for that. I mean, when I read it, I was thinking uh, about uh, what Jesus said when he says, let your light shine so that God may be glorified by your good works. Your light shining, healing shall spring up speedily, spiritual healing. Your righteousness shall go before you, that pe people will know you for your righteousness. And so you, you begin to read these things, you go, wow, this idea of, of the glory of the Lord being your rear guard, that's mind-blowing stuff. Talk about thoughts being higher than our thoughts when we talked about that in, in chapter 55. Wow. That's a, that's a mind-blowing, higher thoughts kind of category. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Wow. And so when we think about this issue of human flourishing, and we realize that that's where Isaiah is going to with this, with this sermon. This is sermon number 19, as I mentioned before. And he starts out in one direction, and he's headed toward this. This is kind of his concluding words as he, he's concluding this section. And, and you kind of go, wow. So where does he start? Well, he starts in a place that's uncomfortable, to be honest with you. He says in 58.1, where the beginning it begins. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people, and you're wanting blessing, you want their transgression to the house of Jacob, their sins. Whoa. Is that a way to start a message or what? Right? He's saying, he's saying, don't pull any punches. I want you to say it like it is. I want you to, to lay it out there before my people. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. That, that word for trumpet is the word sofar, shofar. It's the, the, the horn that they would blow going into battle. And so they blow this shofar. They would blow this horn when, uh, each uh, day to remind people of worship. And so it's this idea that, that the trumpet is blown. It's a call for action. And that what would that action be? That we would deal with our sins. That we would, that in this case, he's speaking to whoever he's speaking to, that, the, that sins would be addressed, that transgressions would be addressed. Now this is kind of an interesting thing that he does next. Because he says, yet they seek me daily. Do you remember that from, from Isaiah 58? Whenever we talked about the outline of the book and that it, or the chapter, and it was come, listen, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, and then go out in joy. And, then you, and you see that in chapter 55. And so you think, well, they're, they're seeking him, yet they seek me daily. So they love their personal devotions with the Lord. And they delight to know my ways. They want to know what God wants them to do. And so they're, they're, they're loving a good message. They're loving a good sermon. They're loving somebody that explains the word to them. They're hungry for that. 
But then it says, as if, and I kind of go, what, what do you mean, as if? Isn't this real? All of a sudden, he creates some doubt there. As if they were a nation that did righteousness, so they look good. They look like they're doing the right thing, committed to the right thing, and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They asked me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. You think those would all be good things? I mean, we just sang about that. Draw near, O oh God, draw near. And you think, we, we really mean that. Did they really mean that? I'm assuming that they may have. That that may have been their heart. And it's interesting to me that Isaiah is not going after the person who doesn't follow the Lord. He's not going after the person who, who is an unbeliever. He's going after believers here. That, that at least by their outward example seem to be hungry for the right things. That really challenged my heart. I thought, Lord, am I, am I that person? Do I need to be called out? Do we need to be? That's the, that's the question that I always ask myself every time before I preach a message. I want to know, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want to do in my life? Because if you don't have it, as a professor of mine said, if you don't have it, you can't export it. Right? And so you, I want to I apply this passage to my life first before I try to communicate, hey guys, join me in following the Lord. And there may be times, and there are plenty of times, almost every week, where, I'm, where I could easily say, well, I'm struggling with this one too. Right? Because I'm human. If you don't believe that, then you're not thinking the right thing about all of us. Right? We, we've all got to grow in the Lord. And, and so this, this idea that they, they looked like they were seeking the Lord. And yet he's crying out and saying, wait a minute, hold, stop a minute. And what he talks about, and he begins to talk about right after this, starting in verse 3, is fasting. And then in verse 13 and 14, the Sabbath. He talks about those two things. He says, you do those two things, and yet... It's not working. And in fact, if you look at the word seek in verse 2, you see, seek me daily, that same word is used in verse 3. In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And then you see in the Sabbath uh, verses on verse, uh, I think it's 13, it says you're seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. And you look at that and you realize he's, he's, they're seeking the Lord, but they're seeking their own pleasure first. They're seeking their own pleasure most. There's somehow that that's overriding what they're, what they're doing. And so this idea of seeking, is he even speaking tongue in cheek? Is he even speaking in irony here and saying, oh yeah, you seek me daily, right. We both know you're really not. And he's saying, I need to call that out. You see Paul calling that out, uh, that same idea in Corinthians when he's talking about the Lord's Supper in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 28, where he talks to, to the, the believers in Corinth and he's saying, I want you to understand something. Uh, you're, yeah, you're practicing the Lord's Supper, but 
Uh, it's all wrong. Uh, you're not waiting on each other. Some of you are hungry. The others are drunk. You're, I mean, you're just going through this whole process and, and yet it's, it's making a farce of the whole thing. He says, first thing you need to do is examine yourself. And every time we take communion, every time I take communion, I think about that, examine yourself. And I take that moment to examine, God, what are you doing in me? How are you wanting to change me? Where, where am I messing up? Where am I falling short? Lord, as I, as I remember what you did and you died for me, and it's not a time where I have to do that in order to be saved. I'm already saved. But God wants my heart clean. And he wants me to take that time during the Lord's table. And so I don't know if you do that, but I would encourage you to start doing that during the Lord's table. And there may be a time or two where you decide not to take the Lord's table as you examine yourself and you know you got to get something right. Maybe right with somebody else. Because it's easy for us to kind of go through the motions. And in the old Simon and Garfunkel song, Faking It, Not Really Making It. Uh, some of you know that uh, song. Um, I'm not, I know I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I look at that and I just think, you know, that we all do that. We all fall short at times and we need to to examine ourselves we need to be called out because we don't always know what we don't know I remember uh, one time on a, on a vacation uh, I found out that I get hangry and I didn't realize it it happened I did it but I didn't realize there was that connection between not eating and and that was pointed out to me and it was hard to hear and now as we go on trips together, me and my wife, she'll say, uh, I think we need to stop and eat. And my response is, oh, it's that bad, huh? She goes, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Very honest with me. And, and, and yet it, it, grow, it helped me to see something that I didn't see in myself. We're blind to so, so many things. We'll see it in everybody else, but we don't see it in ourselves. And we need it called out. And so Isaiah is simply doing that. He says, hey, I want to call this out. Why does he call it out? Because I want you to flourish. Because I want you to experience what God has for you. Because I want you to, to experience verses 8 and following. He says, I want that for your life. The Lord, more importantly, the Lord wants that for your life. And so we need to call it out whenever we don't see it happening. You see their question when it comes to fasting. And it says, when we have fasted and you see it not, or why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And it's like, oh, you just kind of revealed your heart, right? You revealed that you have a heart that's wanting to do something to be noticed. And, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, don't fast and then go about with a sad face and, you know, looking all, you know, hungry. And don't let anybody know about your fasting. Don't do it to... to to, to show. And it, in fact, it's one of the things that I was, I was thinking about when I was looking at this passage and I realized fasting is restated in the New Testament as something believers should do. Because he says, when you fast. And then in Luke 5, even more strongly, when, when Jesus was asked, why, why, do, you not, why do your disciples uh, not fast? John's disciples do. And notice what he said, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Well, the bridegroom's been taken away, right? That's what he's talking about. 
This is that time when we're waiting for him to come back. And so we should have some times of fasting. When we, when we see something going on, I, I see different prayer requests that people send and want people to pray for. And I think there's times where I go, I want, I want to fast for this one. I want to pray for these people, but I want, I want to fast for this one. I don't know why I feel led to do that at times, but I just do. And so I'll miss a meal or sometimes a whole day of meals. Uh, I've gone longer than that, but, you know, it's not that we're trying to do this endurance contest. And I, I'm really spiritual. I fasted, you know, for two days. I fasted for an hour and a half before, between lunch and breakfast. I mean, you know. <laughs> We're not trying to prove anything. It's just, it's just this, that our heart and that fasting reminds us every time we feel a hunger pain to pray and to remember that person in prayer and not to forget. It's for our good. And it's not so that people will notice it so that we can go talking about, oh yeah, I, I fast. You know, how often do you fast? Oh, I fast once a week. You know, I've had people say that and I'm like, great. You know, praise God. I don't. <laughs> I pray, I fast differently. I fast whenever the Lord leads me to. It's something we should think about in our spiritual walk. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. This is verse three. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. And they must really get hangry. And to hit with a wicked fist. He's, he's saying, if you're going to be fasting, if you're going to be doing something of a spiritual nature, it should, it should impact your relationships and not in this negative way. And I think that sometimes that we, we can go through the motions spiritually, and whether it's fasting, whether it's the Lord's Supper, whether it's, whether it's um, the Sabbath, whatever it is that we find ourselves doing and we can look good we can look righteous we can look like the term and I almost don't like this term I hear it I've heard it at different um, like when we we did a, a trip to Italy and and they were and we went to some of these uh big churches and they said oh the faithful they're they're the ones that are up front there you can see them right now they're praying or whatever and it's like the faithful what does that mean does it mean they're full of faith or does it mean they just kind of go through the motions you see, it's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to kind of be faking it and, and kind of look good on the outside and we look great among one another, but not necessarily to the world and the world's watching. And, in, and, and I, want the, I want the Lord to be glorified in my life. And I think that you do too. And what that means is sometimes we need to call out even in our own lives, we need to be honest with ourselves and, and, and realize where we're, where we're not making it and where we need to, to step it up. I know this is a hard message to hear. But Isaiah isn't pulling any punches with our lives, is he? He says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high, which is interesting because later in the passage, when he's talking about the uh, human flourishing, when he's talking about this blessed life, when he's talking about however you want to call it, the good life, he says, your, uh, fasting on, uh, like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. 
But then in verse 9, it says, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Now, you may still say no, because he can answer however he wants to answer, right? He's sovereign. He's uh, the God of the universe. There's times where we tell our kids no, and we mean it for a good purpose for them. We know that yes isn't what they need. The Lord knows better than all. He knows when to say yes and when to say no, and I'm glad he's making those calls and not me. He says, is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself, to bow his head like a reed and to spread his sackcloth and ashes under him? And the expected answer is no, that's not the fast. He says, will you call this a fast, a day that's acceptable to the Lord? And, and we should be saying a resounding no, we don't, because we, 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 we see what you're saying, we see where you're going with this, and, and yet how is it supposed to look? What is it supposed to look like? And then he does something that's, that's similar to what Jesus did in, in the Sermon on the Mount in, Mount in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right? He says that a couple of different times in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, don't murder. I'm going to tell you, don't even be angry with your brother. He says, I'm, I'm taking it to a whole new level. There's a higher thought here that you need to consider. And, and I wonder sometimes, did he, did he get this from Isaiah here? He says, you, you've said that it's uh, you know, not committed adultery, but I say to you, don't even lust. And so here, Isaiah says, is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry. To bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked to cover him. And not to hide yourself. From your own flesh. He's saying love your neighbor. In so many words. We saw in chapter 55. That the focus is on relationship to the Lord. If you want a life, if you want to not labor for that which does not satisfy, but you want to labor for that which really truly satisfies, then come to the Lord, listen to him and listen to his word, seek the Lord and go out in joy and peace. That's what he said in chapter 55. So what is he saying here? If you want the life that God intends for you, the life of blessing then, yeah, you can fast, but I want you to take it to a whole new level. I want you to love your neighbor in the midst of that fast. I want you to care for them. That's a real proof of, of where you are in your, in your own life. It helps you to understand where am I, where am I going? Because otherwise, we're just seeking our own pleasure. We're doing it because it makes us feel good to do so. We feel more righteous or we feel more like we're, we're serving the Lord when we do all these different activities. And yet the reality is, is that when we're called out, we realize, you know what? The heart's deceitful above all else. Who can know it? As Jeremiah says, my own heart, I see it. And so I need it called out. Not every day, <laughs> but I need it called out. And so and as I was looking at these things, I was thinking, uh, I actually memorized this verse back when I was in college. 
because I was thinking that about I want to I want to follow the Lord and I want to follow him in earnest and I don't want to just seek him daily and delight in him and be excited about his word but be missing it be faking it be going through the motions I want my faith to be real I don't want it to be something less I want it to be something that glorifies God I want it to be something where God is the glory of God is in my rear guard and in fact, the interesting thing is, is that in the first part of it, uh, in verses 3 and, and, and uh, verse 4, it's in the plural. But then it hits the singular from there to, from, from chapter 5 to the end of the chapter. He's talking about us individually, not, now, not the nation in general. He's, he's narrowed it down to the individual. And he's saying, I want you to be committed to this. I want you to love your neighbor. He's not talking about a political statement here. He's, he's making this individual statement that we would care about those who are around us. That we would care about oppression. That's something that's very, become very popular and very politicized in our nation. And people are on both sides of the issue, aren't they? And this idea of oppress, uh, people that are oppressed. And, and, and you might say, well, it's not happening. And others are saying, no, it is happening. And it's, and it's built into the system. And I mean, all these different arguments that you've heard over and over. And some of you hold strong opinions about it. Some of you are still searching. And I was thinking, well, Isaiah speaks about it. He speaks about it 2,700 years before we are alive. And he wants us to be concerned about it. Whatever that means for now, he wants us to be concerned about it. And the thing that we need to understand, though, is, is that there are some thought during our, during our own day that, uh, that doesn't fit with what Isaiah is talking about here. In fact, I was reading in a, uh, in, uh, an interview uh, by Vody Bauckham. Uh, I've got a picture here so you can kind of see him. Maybe you know of him, maybe you don't. And Vody Bakken was talking about some of these issues in regard to what's going on in culture today. And he's a cultural apologist is what he does. He's a dean of theology at a school in Zambia, a theological school in Zambia. And he's, he was talking about how some of the things that are going on, some of the ideas are not biblical ideas. And in fact, in one of the uh, uh, things he brought up, and I had forgotten, uh, uh, is liberation theology, which was uh, brought on by Jürgen Moltmann, a guy that I had to read when PhD studies. Uh, it was, uh, it was uh, written about and popularized by, in Latin America by a guy named Gutierrez. And it was what started and what fueled the fires for the Sandinistas in Nicaragua back in the late 70s up to the 90s, mostly in the 80s. And they overthrew the government. This idea of uh, that, and, and they went, went, what they did is this Gutierrez went to the scriptures and he looked at everything through the lens of uh, political freedom and, uh, and, and liberation of oppression and that, it, that the whole scriptures are not about the idea of being saved from sin but saved from oppression. And that was his whole focus and Vody Bauckham in his uh, new book Fault Lines talks about that. And he talks about what's going on in our culture and some of the, the things that people are believing and how that doesn't fit with what scripture says. And, and he's somebody that I feel like could speak well to that topic and has done a great job of it. And so I, 
I looked at that, and as I was studying what he had to say, I thought, you know, uh, in fact, one of the views of, of, of our world today is, is that salvation from sins is not that important anymore. It's liberation from oppression. And I think, well, Isaiah in this one chapter talks about both. It's not either or. It's both and. It's that we deal with our sins as we, and he talked about that in chapter 53 that we saw on Easter, uh, that, that the suffering servant who came to die for our sins, to atone for us, to take our place as a substitutionary atonement. That's a phrase you ought to learn. That's a statement that you need to get to know. Become familiar with substitutionary atonement means Jesus took our place. And he atoned for our sin. He took, took our place and then he suffered the penalty for our sin. That's the idea. And so you look at Isaiah, he's talking about both. It's not either or. And it's not that I uh, hold to liberation from oppression and throw out the, the gospel. But it's also not that I throw out the gospel, I mean, I hold to the gospel and throw out this idea that oppression is somehow not a big deal. They're both important, and they should both be important to the believer. And as, as we live our lives in that way, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here, I'm not trying to take a side here, I'm just trying to take Isaiah's side, and I'm trying to put together and piece together him calling us out. And it should stir our hearts. And it may make you angry at first. Sometimes the word of God does that. It kind of ticks you off. That's why we don't want to read it. <laughs> if we're honest. I'm just calling that one out, okay? Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> but it's also to share your bread with the hungry. To bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see the naked, to cover him. I mean, that's food, shelter, and clothing. So if I'm involved and engaged in those things, that's the fast that's more pleasing to God than me doing without food. So that, so that, and that's one of the reasons why we uh, feed, do feed the children. It's one of the reasons why we want to reach out into our community and, and support some of the organizations that are doing a great job, the Mansfield Mission Center and others that are doing a great job locally. It's why we get committed to Operation Christmas Child and some of these other different things that will help internationally. And we don't have a choice of, oh, we're only going to do local stuff. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he didn't just say do the local stuff. He said Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest parts of the earth, all. That's a huge task. That's a thought higher than our thought, right? We talked about that last time. It says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. We talked about that. He says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. He says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourselves out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, so he hits it again, those same issues. It says, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your gloom be as the noontime. You're going to have joy. He says, the Lord will guide you continually. You'll be led by the Lord. Because you can't do everything, so you look for the Lord's leading on what to do. The other day, I had someone who stopped me and, and needed some help, and I was late for uh, meeting somebody else, and 
And I said, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to help you right now. And I, and I went on. And, and for the whole week, I just felt bad about that. I wish I would have helped. The Lord was, I think, stirring my heart to, to, and leading me. And I, and I kind of dismissed it. We do that. And we need those times where the Lord guides us and we begin to get used to his guiding of us. It says, he will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you think, oh, he's going to give me everything I desire? No. I mean, Psalm 37, 4 sounds like it. Whenever you read that, it says, you know, that, that uh, uh, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I, I delight in the Lord. Where's the Ferrari, right? <laughs> I'm still waiting for that thing, but... I realized that's not what he had in mind. When I delight myself in the Lord, then my desires are going to be his desires, right? And then he gives me what his desire is for me and for this lost world. And, and it's not stuff. If, in fact, if you look at this blessing, this blessing can happen to you when you're in the down times and in the up times. That you're looking to God to answer prayer and to hear your prayers. You're, you can have joy even though you may not have happiness the joy of the Lord is my strength. You can be guided by the Lord at the good times and at the hard times. You can have desire fulfilled. It's something that you're praying for God may bring about. You'll be nurtured. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You're going to have enduring strength from the Lord, nurturing from the Lord at those deepest and darkest times as well as your good times. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up a foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. You'll be a peacemaker. You'll be somebody who builds into the fabric of our, our, of our world. And people will stand on your shoulders. That's the good life. That's the blessed life that God desires for us. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, will we call ourselves out? Has God called out something to you even today? Maybe he's, he's impacted your heart on something and, and, and it stirred your heart that something came to mind. Don't walk away from here and forget it. Don't be like me and I walked away this week from, from a situation and I, now I felt guilty about it. I want you to write it down. I want you to begin to pray about it and say, God, show me, reveal to me where I need to take a step to love my brother, to love my sister. Maybe it's a step of forgiveness. Maybe it's a step of encouragement. Maybe it's a step of, of, of giving to them. Whatever God has for you, I want to ask you this week, love your neighbor well. And then watch God work. Father, we come to you this morning and Lord, this is a hard message to hear. It was a hard one to preach. It's a hard one as I wrestled through it during the week. We're not going to lie about that. And it stirs a lot of emotions, especially as we've watched our culture over the last couple of years and all the things that are going on there. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for healing in our nation. We pray that you would bring about health where there is sickness. Joy where there is sorrow. Father, I pray that you would bring about a freedom, Father, where there may be an oppression. 
Lord, we pray that you would use the likes of us as peacemakers, that we wouldn't be those who strike with the fist and who are argumentative and all the things that we don't need to be, that we'd be the peacemakers that are repairers of the breach and restorers. Father, make, those, make that our heart. Change our hearts, Father. These are higher thoughts, and yet they're hearts that make us struggle. They're thoughts that make us struggle. Lord, help us as we process through all these things to see this world not as we see it, but as you see it. Give us eyes to see. Help us to have some of your higher thoughts in terms of our responses, in terms of our actions, in terms of how we live. Help us to live and love well. Help us to have your heart. Help us to become more like Jesus. And he didn't seem to mind to tick people off to say what needed to be said without pulling any punches. And so Lord, we look to you. We love you. And we want to grow close to you. And help us to grow close and near to you in the right way. Not in a way that, like these folks that Isaiah is talking about, it's almost speaking sarcastically about them. Help us to love you in genuineness and in truth. Father, we pray that you would guard our hearts. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.